Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see all of you. It's already been said, but happy new year to you. Um, And special shout out to those of you who are still holding strong with your Bible reading plan three days in. Uh, Admittedly, I'm not the most disciplined person when it comes to that, but if you are, then uh, good for you. That's fantastic. So uh, that is a good thing. Um, I'm not the best at the Bible reading plan, but we are going to open the Bible and read it together this morning and look at it. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in, Psalm 67 in your Bibles, and you can start making your way there, middle-ish portion of your Bible, Psalm 67. Uh, I think the word should be behind me when we read it in just a moment, but um, if you have a copy, you can open that as well. All right, and before I read the passage, let me lead us in a word of prayer one more time. So join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, the only name by which we can come to you and be heard and um, receive grace and help in our time of need. And God, we recognize that this, Really, like every other time in our lives, but maybe in a particular way, this is a time of need for all of us as we come to your word. We want your spirit to, to move in us and through us. We want um, your word and your gospel to invade our hearts in a fresh way this morning. God, we pray that you would, that you would use your word to encourage us where we need to be encouraged and convict us where we need to be convicted. And we pray through all this, that we would see you for who you are as we look to your book. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Psalm 67, seven verses, and I will read it for us as you follow along. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. That is God's word. Well, I have three points for you today. This is a super, super, super simple outline. I'm not the most creative when it comes to outlines usually. So we've got three points for you. We have number one, the prayer. Number two, the purpose. And number three, the perspective. And I'll repeat those as we go through. But the prayer, the purpose, the perspective. Just so you're aware, I have a feeling the second point right there in the middle is going to be the longest by quite a bit. That's just the feeling I have. So just be aware of that as we get into it. But the prayer, number one. So I want us to start by simply just breaking down this prayer, this petition that we see. And in particular, I want, to, I want us to look at what this prayer in Psalm 67 teaches us about the character of God. I think that it's true that we can learn a lot about 
what people think of God by how they pray. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to see what the psalmist here thinks of God and what he prays for and what he asks for and what he recognizes God as the one who can do. And so look down again at verse 1. He says, he starts off, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So even in just this one verse, we learn so much about who God is. Just look at the words used to describe God. It, it starts out by saying that he's gracious, right? Full of grace, this undeserved kindness, unmerited favor towards sinners. The psalmist here asks God to be gracious, and he asks God to be gracious because he knows, he's confident that God is full of grace. He doesn't have to be, but he is. Time and time again, he gives grace upon grace. Even the psalmist here later in the passage, he talks about how the earth has yielded its increase, and he's confident that God will bless him. Why? Because he knows that God is a gracious God. In a, in a world full of conditions, things like, maybe kids know this, if you eat your veggies, then you can have dessert, right? If you, if you are nice to me, then I'll be nice to you, all right? In a world full of conditions, God is full of grace, This passage goes on, may God be gracious to us and bless us. So we also see that God is the one who blesses us. And to be clear, there are all kinds of things that we can consider as blessings from God to us. Really, any good thing is a blessing from the Lord. But the psalmist here is primarily talking about God's blessing in terms of his grace and his mercy and his salvation that he has shown to us. And as we know, this blessing is ultimately seen in the fact that we've sung about it, we've heard about it, we've talked about it already, that God sent his son to live and die and rise again on behalf of sinners. That is the, the epitome of the blessing of God for us. It's in the gospel, and we have received this blessing. The psalmist goes on in verse 6, our God shall bless us. There's that confidence. And again in verse 7, God shall bless us. So it's very clear here that Our God is one who is gracious, he's one who blesses, and then notice the end of verse 1 here. May God make his face to shine upon us. The idea there is, Lord, look at me, look at us with your pleasure and with your acceptance, smile at us with your love and acceptance. Psalm 19 says that God's presence is like sunshine. I love that, it's like warm sun on his people. So that's the prayer there, be near to us. Shine on us, smile on us, out of your grace, oh God, out of your blessing, look with your favor upon us. And then look down at verse 4. It says that God judges the people with equity, with fairness. He guides the nations upon earth. So we see there that God is just. We're getting all kinds of attributes of God just in this, in this seven-verse psalm here. God is just. This means that the highest court in the land is the court of God, and he judges and rules with fairness. He's not corrupt. There are no backroom deals with God. He doesn't let things slide. He is good, and he's a true judge. He's also a good guide, verse 4 says. So he's not a hands-off God that's uninterested in his creation. He didn't, he didn't make us, praise God. He didn't make us and just leave us in the dark to figure this out by ourselves. He guides us. He gives directions. He guides the nations. He leads them. He leads us. He knows the best way forward in life, the way to grace and mercy and life and hope. He leads us to know him and enjoy him and rest in him. That's one of the reasons that prayer is so important. say a lot about prayer. This is not a whole sermon on prayer. But in prayer, a lot of times what we're doing is we're asking God to guide us, right? To lead us, to direct our paths, to help us know what to do and how to live and 
what decision to make and what should I say. We're looking for direction, and it is in God's character to give us the guidance that we need. In his grace, he leads us in the big areas of our lives and even in the smaller areas of our lives, and he leads us because he cares for us. This is our God. He is worthy of praise, and we'll see that even more as we keep going. But he's worthy of praise, and that's why in verse 2, the psalmist prays that God's ways, everything that we just talked about, may be known on the earth. All of God's ways, every single one of God's ways is glorious and right, and that's why his ways are worth being spread across the earth. It's why the psalmist says there in verses 3 and 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you for who you are that we've already seen. God is gracious to his creation. He's present. He's a fair judge. He guides the nations. He's so far above all of us, and he deserves the praise of all of us. And then very quickly, as we get ready to leave this point, look down at verse 2 again. So may God be gracious to us. Do all these things. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Why? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God is a savior. He's a judge and he is the savior of his people. He has the power to save us from our sins and raise us from death to life. Only God can do that. If you are here today and you are alive in Jesus today, God made that happen. And he did it by his grace and by his power and by his desire to save you. His saving power is, like we've said, the blessing of all blessings to us. The blessing of all blessings. All right. With all those things in mind, leads us to point number two. So let's jump off of verse two like we just talked about, and we're going to jump into point number two, the purpose. So look down at verses one and two one more time. It says, may God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us, so that. So there's a connection, there's a reason that the psalmist is asking God to be gracious so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. I think that that is one of the most key parts of this psalm. We're, we're going to miss the point of this psalm if we don't understand what's going on in that little transition word right there, that little connector, so that. So in these verses, we see the reasons behind why God blesses his people. We see the overall purpose of why God does what he does. If you're like me, you want to know all the time why God is doing what he does. Why COVID-19, why this or that, why this loss, why this unemployment, whatever it is. We want to know why God is doing what he does. And I don't have the answers to really any of, the, any of those things. But I know that the grand overarching answer um, in a lot of ways is that God does what he does. Um, he blesses us um, in particular in the ways that he does so that we might make his salvation known in all nations. Uh, that's a why that I kind of have an idea of the answer to. Why does God bless us? So that we might make his salvation known in all nations. And we see that, hopefully you see that clearly in verses 1 and 2 there, in that little connection. We see it in our passage here, but we also see it all throughout the Bible. The Bible is replete with this idea that God blesses his people for a specific purpose. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is zoom out from this passage And I want us to see God's passion for his glory in all nations from cover to cover in the Bible. All right? Don't freak out. We're not going to be here hours. 
Um, but I want to start at the beginning, and I want to go to the end. Um, I want us to look at 20 scriptures very quickly that give us a biblical theology of the blessing of God. And guys, like we made it through 2020, we can make it through 20 scriptures this morning. I know that sounds like a lot, but we'll be good. You can write down these references if you want. You don't have to. You can just listen. But think of this idea of why God is doing what he does, why he's helping his people, why he blesses his people all throughout the Bible. The, go, the, the global glory of his name. That's what we see. So I want us to start in the book of Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Father of many nations, right? I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm choosing you. I'm going to bless you. God is calling out his people, the people of Israel, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So we see the blessing of God there, straight up. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But now let's see the purpose behind it in that passage. So that through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. There's the connection. So here's what's happening. He says, Abraham, I'm going to pour out my blessings on you, and the result is that you are going to make my blessings, my goodness, my grace known among all the peoples of the earth. You are going to be essentially a channel of blessings. That's why. So that's how God starts with his people. Next, Abraham, he has a son named Isaac. In Genesis 26, 4, God comes down to Isaac, and he says a really similar thing. So he says to Isaac in Genesis 26, verse 4, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. So that's the blessing. But it doesn't stop there. We see the purpose next. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So God says, I'm going to bless you, Isaac, so that the nations of the earth will too be blessed. Next one, Isaac has a son. His name's Jacob. In Genesis 28, verse 14, God says the same thing to Jacob. He says, I'm going to make your descendants, Jacob, as numerous as the stars in the sky. They will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the nations will be blessed through your offspring. So again, think about what's happening. Jacob is a single guy at this point, and if I'm him, I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even have a wife yet, right? How are my descendants going to be um, like the dust of the earth? Like, how, how is that going to happen? But God, he straight up says, like, yeah, I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you in, in this unusual way. He, he could have picked someone else, not the single guy, but he blesses Jacob. Um, and the result is that all the people are going to be blessed, and they're going to know that I am good. God could have done this any number of ways, but he gives the promise to the single guy to demonstrate his power and bless the nations through it. So, so what we're doing here is I want us to see the why that is driving God. And it doesn't stop in Genesis. It keeps going. So, and we're not going to go through all 66 books, but we are going to go to Exodus right now. So uh, here we see God. He's delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. And here's this really interesting, probably familiar to most of you story in Exodus chapter 14. God is leading his people out of Egypt. He brings them to the Red Sea. And at this point, everybody's thinking, like we would be, they're thinking, why is God leading us to this body of water where we can't go left or right and we dang straight can't go straight through it, right? Why is he leading us there? The Egyptians are about to overtake us, and all we have is this big body of water in front of us. Those are good questions. Why would God lead his people into that kind of situation? But remember kind of the gist of what he said earlier in the book of Exodus. He basically says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will gain glory for myself. 
I'm going to show the Egyptians, and they're going to know that I'm the Lord. And that's what he does, right? He chooses this unusual way to bless his people and to save his people by splitting the sea in half. He sends his people through on dry land, and the Egyptians knew the salvation that God brings to his people. They witnessed it. They recognized it. They knew the goodness and the power and the grace of God. You look throughout the rest of the Old Testament, which we're going to do a little bit of, you will see people always saying, we remember that this is the God who split the seas. He got fame and glory for himself. He shows off his greatness, his grace, his majesty, his salvation through blessing his people. Let's keep with this question, why? What's the purpose of the blessing? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we see that God gives his people the Ten Commandments. Why did he give the Ten Commandments? Well, that's another sermon by itself. Um, There are multiple reasons why he gives the Ten Commandments. But in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 6, it says that God gave his people the Ten Commandments so that the people would follow them and show the wisdom of God to the nations, and the nations would know that God is all-wise and that God is good. God is blessing his people with the Ten Commandments so that his character is known among the nations. Joshua 5 and 6, another, another fun story. So this is a story about the first battle going into the promised land. People of Israel are going into this land that God has delivered them. There's a city called Jericho. It's this big city, massive walls. And Joshua 5.13 says that Joshua is walking around the city, and he's wondering how in the world that he's going he, to take the army into this massive city. It's a daunting task in front of him. And basically in that day, he had... Five military options available to him to take these walls. So he could either try and go over the walls, he could go under the walls, he could go through the walls, he could send in some kind of decoy perhaps, like a Trojan horse kind of thing, or he could essentially starve the people, cut them off, have this siege going on, and get them to evacuate that way. So five options, over, under, through, send the decoy, or starve them until they come out. Those are kind of the military options that he recognizes at the time. So God comes to Joshua in this story, and he says, here's the battle plan. And of course, Joshua's thinking, okay, like, Lord, what's it going to be, over, under, through, what is it, uh, which of the battle plans are we going with? What does God say? He he basically says, um, get out the trumpet players, right, get out the sheet music, uh, call the music guys together, and what you're going to do is you're going to march around this city multiple times, and you're going to play some cool music. And then here's the kicker. So God basically says, after you've marched, after you've played music for a few days, after uh, uh, one day, you're just going to shout really loud, and the walls are going to come down. I don't know what Art of War book God's been reading. Is it not what I'm thinking. It's a weird battle strategy. It's very strange what God is telling his people to do. So it begs the question, why? Why does he give this particular strategy as the battle plan for taking the first city in the promised land? But it seems that God is simply doing what he does all throughout Scripture. He is organizing the events of his people so that in the end, he and he alone gets the credit for what happens. Uh, Think about this. Here's what we don't see in Joshua 6. We don't see the Israelites going up to the trumpet players, telling them what an incredible job they did that day. You played that horn like a pro. This is awesome. No, that's not 
That's not who gets the praise. You see the people on their faces saying, only God could have done this. God blessed his people in an unusual way to put his glory on display. Let's continue. First Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 19. We know that King Solomon was the wisest man in the day. Why was he so wise, though? Well, we know that he asked for wisdom. That's part of the answer. But First King uh, Kings chapter 10 says that he was wise so that people like Queen Sheba would come and see his wisdom and give glory to God. That's what 1 Kings 10 says. She starts singing God's praises. That's the only reason that, that Solomon, that anyone could be this wise. It's got to come from somewhere, the queen says. Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. God lets his servants, these three Hebrew boys who were so diligent in serving him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he lets them get thrown into this fiery furnace. He did it so that these guys would come out on the other side without a drop of sweat on their brow. And if you look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 29, you see that the king says that the God of these three men deserves the praise of every, every person in the land. It's what the king says after witnessing this blessing and this salvation. God delivers them Yes, to save them and because he loves them. And, but they're in this situation and he gets them out of that for the glory of his name. Same thing in Daniel 6. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and the next morning he miraculously comes out, right? And some other guys get thrown in. Why did God let that happen? Well, if you look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, you see that King Darius said this after, he said this after Daniel came out of the lion's den. He said, only Daniel's God is living. For all the people in the land, I'm giving a decree. We are going to praise the God of Daniel because he saves his people. It's the gist of what he says after witnessing this salvation. God puts his glory on display through blessing his people. That's the motive that's driving God through the Old Testament. Then there's Psalm 23. I'm sure you get the hang of it by now, but we're just going to keep doing it, all right? We've got a few more. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside uh, quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And then what does it say at the end of verse 3? For his namesake. Why does God guide us? Why does he lead us? For the sake of his name. How about Psalm 25, verse 11? Why does God forgive our sins? Yes, because he loves us and he's, he's promised to save his people. Like This is not the singular motive that God does what he does. He, 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 he can um, operate under different motivations. But we see over and over again God blessing people for his glory. So Psalm 25, verse 11, why does God forgive our sins? For the sake of your name, O God, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. For the sake of your name, forgive me of my disastrous and uh, multiplied iniquity. So is this how we pray? I think we do here at this church. God, forgive my sins for your sake. I think that's a good thing to pray. I, I like that practice in our church. It's biblical. How about Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11? God says, for my own sake, for my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. You go to the end of the passage and it says that God does it because he is not going to yield his glory to another. God says, I'm going to work among you in this way so that my name is known among the nations as great because my glory does not belong to anybody else. It belongs to me and me alone. How about this verse, Ezekiel 36, verse 22. 
just to give you the background really quickly, Ezekiel 36, basically this is God talking about discipline among his people. And why is he going to discipline them in a certain way? Well, here's what's, again, driving his motivation. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Did you catch that? God says to his people, when I pour out my blessing and when I pour out my judgment on you, I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for the sake of my name among the nations. The nations will know that I'm holy. They will know my character, my goodness, my grace, and my glory amazing. Now, everything that we looked at so far is from the Old Testament, but I want us to see that God's passion for his glory in all nations and the blessing that he gives his people toward that end is not just an Old Testament issue. Matthew 24, 14. These will go quickly. This gospel, this salvation is going to go to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we're seeing God's passion for his glory in all nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples. Where? All nations. Mark 16, verse 15, go and preach the good news. Where? To all creation. Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 47 through 49. Jesus died so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in where? You guessed it. All nations. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Again, Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is on God's mind. This is on God's heart. God is in the business of making his salvation known among all peoples through the blessing of his people. Think about this. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Obviously, there are lots of reasons. There's at least 50, according to one author. Lots of reasons Jesus went to the cross. But think about John 12, verses 27 through 28. Think about what Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. He says, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason I, uh, that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. A voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Throughout the New Testament, we see a people, we see people like Paul, the apostle, whose ambition was to make the glory and salvation of God known among all people. Take what God gives them and use it to spread the fame of God, to spread the fame of God's Son to the ends of the earth. All nations. This was the very purpose of the church in the book of Acts, uh, and we could keep going. We could keep going through the New Testament. We, we started at Genesis 12, though, and we, I want us to wrap up uh, this point by going to the end of the Bible. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is where all of eternity is headed. It's one story. Lots of stories in the middle of one story. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10 says this. This is John's vision. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Which, this is kind of an aside, but if you've skimmed over that verse before, like I have, um, listen to that again. I just, I love this. Um, 
After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. The saints in heaven. Like, obviously we believe that you trust in Jesus. Um, if you belong to God's family, then you'll be in heaven with him. Um, so not everybody will be there, but it's not like there's just a few of us there. There's a number, uh, that, there's a multitude that no one can number. It's just exciting to me that God is going to save a lot of people. A lot of people through Jesus. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every language, every people worshiping the risen Savior. Just amazing. The beginning of the Bible starts off with God saying that he's going to bless his people so that all nations are going to know how good he is and how uh, he is just and how he provides salvation for his people. He's going to bless his people so that the nations will know that. And eternity tells us that, in short, God accomplishes his plan. Tells us that there's going to be a day when every nation, every people group, every language is going to bow at the throne of God and sing praises, praises because he alone is worthy of glory. The Lamb who was slain, King Jesus, is worthy of all the glory of every people on the planet. That's the purpose of God's blessing. We see it here in Psalm 67, and we see it from cover to cover in Scripture. God desires to bless us so that we might be a blessing to others, so that God's salvation might be known to others to those here in Asheville and Hendersonville and Arden and Fletcher and all the sub-towns and sub-sub communities and, and to the ends of the earth. He wants to make his salvation known. And that leads us to our final point, number three, the perspective. We saw the prayer, we saw the purpose, now I want to look at the perspective that we as God's people have. <clears throat> so here's the reality. As we've seen, we are not blessed just for our own benefit, right? Of course we benefit from it, and that's a good thing to, to, to feel God's pleasure on you as an individual and even on us as a church. We're not blessed, though, just for our own benefit. We're not converted just solely for our own sake and nothing else. The Bible teaches that, that everyone who possesses the gospel should, or rather God puts the desire in them, to proclaim the gospel. We possess the gospel. We want to, out of joy, proclaim this gospel to others. God gives grace to his people. He saves his people in order that, again, he might be known, that he might be worshipped by every tribe, language, and nation. And, and, and that's the mission. Like, there's a new year that we just started, but every year the mission is the same. Um, and it's one that God gives us all the grace to do, to, to show people Jesus here and around the world. Every year the mission is the same. God's glory among all peoples, disciples of Jesus in all nations. And listen, the deeper that we dive into the gospel, the more global our perspective becomes, like the psalmist here. It's the good news of who God is and what God has done in Christ. That's what drives us to want to take the gospel to people, to want to see the nation saved. It's, it's not the only motivator, but it's the primary one. It's the gospel that we've received. 
God gives us grace to want to get that same gospel to others, to let them see Jesus and know him and be saved in him and rest in him. We've experienced it, and we want others to as well. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. What a great verse, right? The desire is to get the gospel to the nations so that they will be glad in God. So they will rejoice in him just as we here rejoice in him. And, and here's the thing. So just think about this for a moment. This is not news to, I guess, any of us. But as Christians and as a local church, we, we talk, we've done it this morning. We talk about God. We hear his word. We sing his word. We rejoice. We confess our faith. We rest in God's son through the gospel. We do all of these wonderful, helpful, biblical things. But even as we live here in the light that God has shown us through his son, doing all of these good things week after week, even as we do this, there are people across the globe. There are some in our area, obviously. But there are people all across the world that have no clue about this God. They have no clue. They don't know Jesus. Many of them have never heard the Bible. They never even heard of it. Many of them have never even heard how much God loves them and desires to save them through Jesus. They're headed for an eternity separated from God, and nobody's ever told them how they could be rescued from that reality. And so the question is, is, is there anything that, that we can do about it? Like, uh, how, do we, how do we reach the nations? How do we take the blessings that we have and bless others? Like, I live here. I don't live there. Like, and Sadly, the sad reality is people die all the time, and am I, like, how should I feel about, just, there's all these questions that come into our mind, but on that note, I want to give us just a few takeaways here, and just, I want to preface it by saying this, so um, anytime someone preaches a sermon on kind of the basics, prayer and evangelism, reading your Bible, whatever it is, mission, it's just anything um, it's easy just to get up here and tell everybody to do a bunch of things, and then we all know we don't measure up, and then we leave here feeling bad, and um, it doesn't make us want to do better. It makes us want to give up, and all of these things. Um, that's not what I want to do here. What I want to do here, though, is recognize that we as the people of God, we as the redeemed saints of God through the gospel of Jesus, um, if that's you, then God, by his grace, gives us the desire to, to want others to know Jesus anyway. I'm not trying to put anything in you that you don't already have, right? God is the one who is gracious. He's the one that will give us whatever heart we need for the nations. Um, all I want to do is not uh, make anybody freak out and depressed as they start the new year. Um, we'll give that a little bit more time. I'm sure it'll happen, but I don't want to be the cause of it this morning. What I want to do, though, is I want to... Um, simply give us some handles, very, very simple handles that we can think about as we try and figure out our role in, in using the blessings that God has given us to let those around us and let the nations know of this Jesus. So, here is the first of three takeaways. Pray. We can pray. Very simple. Every single person today here can participate in God's global mission by praying for the nations. That's what the psalmist here is doing. Remember, this is a prayer. Uh, it was read earlier in the scripture reading. And just think about the prayer that Aaron prays um, that we, again, we heard earlier from number six. So 
We heard it from number six, and this is very similar to that prayer, to that blessing, but the psalmist here is taking that priest, uh, that prayer for the priests of Israel, and he's praying it for the whole world. It's amazing. He's saying, Lord, don't just cause your face to shine on the people of Israel, the sons of Israel. You've blessed us, so now, Lord, cause your your face to shine upon the whole world. It's going outward in that sense. So ask yourself, um, I think this is just a, a good question to ask. Does your prayer life reflect God's global purposes? Uh, my, mine doesn't a lot of times. It depends on the day that you ask me that question, right? Um, does your prayer life reflect God's global purposes? We all obviously need help with this, but um, if you want to learn how to pray for the world, um, there's a lot of different ways. Um, there's an app that you can download. Just You do it right now on your phone. Um, if you're already on your phone right now, just download it anyway while you're doing it. Smartphone, there's an app called Unreached of the Day that you could download on your phone. And um, if you remember to look at it, you look at it from time to time. Oftentimes we think about praying for the nations and unreached peoples, and it's very vague. We don't know exactly what we're praying for. The Unreached of the Day app could be a helpful tool to you. It provides you with just practical information about different languages and tribes and ethnic groups and things of that nature across the globe. It gives you some specific ways to pray for the nations. We can all pray, though. We can pray as individuals, as families, with fellow church members. We, we prayed even in, in one of my favorite songs that we sang today, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. Like we were praying that God would send his word abroad and bring the strangers home. And we're doing it like as a family right now. Like we, We've done it this morning and just want to pray for the nations. It's a simple thing. We can also give. So we, we, we can give. Uh, we talk about God's ble- God blessing us in order to bless the nations through us. Um, whatever resources we have really could be included in those blessings. And so we just want to ask questions like, how can we use any resources that we have and blessings that we've been given, treasures that we have, um, that God has given us to see the gospel reach those around us and those far from us? And again, listen, I know that money may be tight for some of us in here. Even if it's not tight, it's okay to spend money on things that you like. So the last thing, again, I want to do is get up here and make you feel terrible for um, not caring about the nations, right? Not giving enough for the mission. That's not what I'm trying to do. I remember in the past feeling, feeling guilty if I wanted to, like, upsize my meal at Bojangles because I could use that extra money to send the missions, right? Um, I felt a little less guilty when I did this at Chick-fil-A because that's the Lord's chicken, so I think you understood. Um, but you get the idea. I, this is, I don't think that's the healthiest mentality, is to like count your pennies and think that you can't ever do anything because that money could be used better. Sometimes that can be helpful, sometimes not so helpful. Guilt is, as we know here, is not usually the best motivator anyway. But just think, verse 4, it says here, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Be glad in what? Be joyful in what? In God, right? Be glad in God, be joyful in God. And as we, as God's people even, rejoice in God and delight in God, um, it just happens that um, things that God has given us um, a lot of times don't mean as much as God himself. Again, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But as God works in us by his grace, it becomes our ambition to use our resources to help others know Jesus, receive his salvation, rest in him, be glad in him, worship him. This isn't a, primarily an issue of guilt for not doing enough. It's, 
If anything, it's an issue of gladness in the God who is worthy of praise. We're glad in him. We delight in him. We want others to do the same. That's, we see the main motivator in this global mission in Psalm 67 is this. It's let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you and be glad in you. Worship, worshiping God, not so much counting your pennies, but worshiping God and recognizing what he has done for us in Jesus, that is the fuel for missions and that is the fruit of missions, is delight in Jesus and rest in Jesus and the experience of salvation in Jesus. So, again, we just want to ask questions like, because God is worthy of the praise of every people group on the planet, how can we give our resources to spread his fame in the, uh, in the nations? How can we further that in? If you're here this morning and you don't even know where to start, um, let me just encourage you to talk to one of the pastors here. Like, are there ways that I could be doing something different? What can I do? What should I do? Pastors, be happy to talk to you about that. And then finally, we can go, right? Pray, we can give, and we can go. The text is clear. The Bible is clear uh, on the whole, that we either, we either go down into the well as missionaries or we hold the rope for those who go down. And our church is, is doing that. Like, praise God, we even just practically, we, we provide for uh, those who are taking the gospel where we're not. Like, it's in our budget. We do these things. So praise God for that. Well, we can talk about praying for the nations, and we should pray for the nations, but at the end of the day, we do need people who are going to go. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So yes, we want to pray. We want to ask God to send out laborers to the front lines. We want to send laborers. We want God to send laborers to places that the gospel has never been. But we also just want to humbly open ourselves up to the Lord, perhaps sending us to the nations for a week, two weeks, two months, six months, a year, 12 years, 20 years. Some of us may never go, but some of us might go. And we want to open ourselves up to that. God, what would you have me do? What, What would you have me do? How can I be spent for the spread of your fame among all nations? And again, just encourage you to talk to one of the pastors, talk to a member around you. Um, If you ever have thoughts like this, what should I do? Should I go somewhere? Should I not? What if I don't? What if I don't want to? What does that mean? Talk to someone around you. Talk to one of your pastors about these things. But pray, give, and go. I want to have the perspective that God has. God, you bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. It's clear that having the same perspective as the psalmist here, it has implications for our lives. And so, um, kind of with that in mind, as we land the plane here, I want to close here by reading a letter uh, by a friend of mine who I think models this really well. Uh, She wrote this letter several years ago, and she sent it to the president of the International Mission Board at the time. And included with this letter was a check for $5,000 that was given to her through the Make-A-Wish Foundation, And I want you to listen to her story in her own words, and then then we'll be done. So this is what she said in this letter. She said, I hope my donation through the Make-A-Wish Foundation will assist the International Mission Board's efforts to spread the gospel among the unreached people groups around the world, especially the groups located in the most difficult places. I still desire to engage with these people myself. However, it must not have been God's will for me to do so before the expiration of my wish on my 21st birthday. 
I thought you might be interested in learning about my story and life-threatening medical conditions, so I've included my story below. In fifth grade, on February 14th, 2007, I suffered my first hemorrhagic stroke, bleeding in the brain, and was diagnosed with an arteriovenous malformation, or AVM, in my brain. An AVM is a tangled mass of malformed blood vessels and arteries that spontaneously rupture, causing the hemorrhagic strokes. The doctors determined that due to its location and complexity, it's too risky to surgically remove. The left side of my body was paralyzed from the stroke, but after months of intensive physical and occupational therapy, I regained complete use of my body again. For the next four years, I did not experience any severe medical complications from the AVM, and Make-A-Wish began processing my original wish for my family and I to have a vacation in Australia. It was arranged for my wish to be granted in the summer of 2011. However, I suffered my second hemorrhagic stroke from the AVM just months before this trip on March 23, 2011. The recovery from this stroke was a lot slower than the first, and I never regained complete use of my left arm and hand. The ongoing pain and fatigue increased after this stroke as well. My trip to Australia was rescheduled for the summer of 2012, but on January 3, 2012 and February 9, 2012, I experienced my third and fourth strokes and was not able to travel. After my fifth stroke on December 5, 2012, we decided to postpone granting my wish until I became more stable. In late July of 2014, after I graduated high school, I had my sixth stroke. After my second stroke, God showed me my need for spiritual healing and not just physical healing. I was incapable of doing many things independently, like taking a bath, and I needed someone else to do it for me. And through this, God made it clear to me that the same way I needed someone to physically bathe me, I also needed someone to spiritually bathe me. No matter how hard I tried, physically or spiritually, I was not able to clean myself either way. God showed me that the only person capable of cleaning me spiritually was Jesus. This past fall, the doctors discovered a new development of three aneurysms in my AVM. The aneurysms increase the likelihood of the AVM rupturing again and are also too risky to treat at this time. However, God has continued to demonstrate his faithfulness. Through the suffering, God has revealed to me my need for him and changed my desires to use my make-a-wish to make an eternal impact. After much prayer and consideration of how best to strategically use this wish to glorify God within the time constraints and other limitations, I determined a donation through the IMB for the unreached people groups would be an eternally effective way to utilize the wish. I hope to meet and one day serve the unreached with you. Sincerely, Madeline Ray. At one point, Madeline's life she was really struggling with her health, and the situation was not good, and she was on the way to the hospital. And through tears, she looks to her mom and says, I just want to be part of getting the gospel to those who have never heard it. Like, through tears, on her way to the hospital. That's the perspective that we see in Psalm 67. That's what was on her mind as she was headed to the hospital. And that's the kind of perspective that only God can give. Amen? So let's go to him now, and let's ask for it. Let's pray. God, we do pray very simply a prayer of thanksgiving for being who you are. You are a God who is gracious to us and blesses us, and you make your face shine upon us. 
And you have shown your saving power to us. You have raised us as a church from death to life in Jesus' name. You, uh, your son has done everything necessary for our salvation. God, we realize that there's nothing left to do. There's nothing that we can do that would make you love us more, and there's nothing that we could do or have done that will make you love us less. We rejoice in that reality this morning, God. And we ask that you would just give us a perspective that that points our eyes to eternity. And we pray that we would live our lives with the end in mind. And we pray even today, lastly, for the nations of the world, places that many of us will never go and that many of us often don't even think about. But right now, God, we pray that your glory and your gospel would be known and magnified among all the peoples of the earth. And we look forward to that day when every tribe, tongue, and nation together will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb who was slain and rejoice in his name and rest in who he is forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.